Oh captain, my captain. Oh captain, my captain. Oh captain, my captain. Oh captain, my captain. Uh, welcome to Oh Captain, my captain. Episode three. Um, Ricky Masindo is sat in front of a white backdrop wearing a coat inside, holding some sort of old-school microphone. Yeah, Um, yeah. Halfway between um, some sort of ISIS hostage video. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What is the other um, side? And new album dropping next week. <laughs> well, that is actually how I describe my act. So thank you. Thank you very much. Um, we've got a Jesse Nixon waiting in the lobby, haven't we? We've got our guest today yeah, waiting in the lobby. So we're going to introduce them in a minute. We'll bring them in. But so this week's episode, now I wanted to talk about this before we record this, because this is episode three. Yeah. of this new series and this is what i like to call the the return of the jedi of our nepotism trilogy oh i like that i like that <laughs> wait so does that mean who was last time a danny um, and alex were empire, strikes, empire back. strikes back that sounds yeah. fitting and a larry morgan is uh star wars a new hope <laughs> um and uh and I wanted to get this I wanted to throw this in straight away. I was even thinking that we should do this as episode 2 and do them all out of order a little bit. But let's keep it as episode 3 because we've talked a lot in the last two episodes about basically it's who you know that gets you through. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually so true. That's the common theme. It really is who you know. And this is and 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 but that theme's gonna happen in this episode as well. So I thought let's get it out of the way. Um we'll introduce Jesse, and I want people listening to know that we know that mm. this is and that's why this is a trilogy. This is the and I'll be honest with you, it might not even be the Star Wars trilogy, it could be like the main Star Wars trilogy. It could be um, Phantom Menace, Attack Ooh. of the Clones, uh, and whatever the last one was. Hey, those of uh, the Revenge of the Sith, those have the... had a big return on the internet. People unironically oh. love those now. That's true. That's yeah. true. But anyway, this is any trilogy you want, and these are three episodes. Basically, people, it's about who you know. And that's the theme of all this. Before we even get into the conversation with Jesse, I know that a lot of this will be about who you know, luck, and all that sort of stuff. We're getting them out for the first three episodes of this series, and then we're going to do non-nepotism specials. Damn, look forward to it. Are you ready for me to admit? A, a b- bring in the Nixon. Bring in the Nixon. The Nixon cometh. I hope the Nixon was ready. Well, the Nick, I mean, the Nixon is in. Uh... Yo. <laughs> there is the Nixon. It's me. I was like, what are these buffoons doing with Zoom? How do they know how it works? But here I am. It's fine. <laughs> You'd be surprised. 
Hi, Jesse Nixon. Yes, hello. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, tell me, be honest with me. First instincts, what do you think of Ricky's Zoom look today? <laughs> okay, let me have a, a proper look. Have we got like a camo fleece happening? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. camo. But I brown mean, I'm also camo. wearing a fleece, so I'm tempted to just say it's great. <laughs> maybe we can He's... flip this and reverse it and just make Oliver feel weird about not wearing a fleece but do you not think like you've got pictures behind you I've got pictures behind me Ricky looks like he's broadcasting from the void <laughs> it kind of does this really is just <laughs> my room but I'm just just because the background has been the same for the last two years and now he's blown away wow the world's your canvas that's what it's giving it really is. Um, Jesse Nixon, we're already recording. We've already started. Um, we did the shortest preamble of all time because you were waiting in our in our lobby because after two years, Ricky has worked out that we, we, we've got a lobby. Yeah, yeah, this is what I meant. This by we only just figured out how to use Zoom because people used to just kind of come in mid-conversation and we'd make it work. <laughs> Which is sort of what we did today, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah kind of. Um, we are going to talk today about tour support. Now, I've done tour support. Ricky Macindo has done some tour support. Jesse Nixon has done some tour support. But before we start talking about that, Jesse, we need you to know something about this episode. Okay. This is episode three of this series, and the first episode was all about writing for TV and radio with Larry Morgan. The second episode was all about doing TV warm-up with Danny Johns and Alex Kitson. And we are calling this part three of the Nepotism Trilogy. <laughs> nice. Uh, and we're basically we're we're facing it head on that it seems to be the theme of these last conversations that we've had and today is being in the right place at the right time and knowing the right people yeah I've always wanted to be an epo baby I thought it would never happen but I'm very happy to be one Mark Oliver's nepo baby (laughs) Yeah, I'll be your baby. What did Finn Taylor describe you as uh, the first time we did the uh, we did oh, the yeah. podcast with Finn? Another one of Mark Olver's weird little projects. <laughs> wow! <laughs> wow! And I, <laughs> so I think we'll address it. I, he might have described you as one of Mark Olver's fucking weird little projects. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I think we'll, we'll we'll sort of get on to that in a minute. Basically, this is an episode because we put out into the world, what would you like us to do episodes about? And one of the big things that people say is, we'd like to know more about tour support. Yeah. Now, I know why I think people want to know more about tour support. <laughs> why do you think... I'll start with Ricky. Ricky, why do you think people want to know about the world of being a tour support? Because it's 
Interesting. I guess because it's another step up on the ladder of comedy and you get to meet successful comedians. I feel like my answer is very naive and you're thinking of something very cynical. Um, Money? Oh, she! Money, baby! (laughs) There we go. There we go. Money. Money, (laughs) money, money. Um, Do you think that's the case? Am I being too cynical here? Do you think people see tour support as a way to develop as a comedian, to develop whether it's stylistically, your content, also your profile, or do you think people see being a tour support as uh, making the wonga? Me? Are you asking me? Yeah, you, Jesse Nixon. Okay, yeah. me, Jesse Nixon. Um, ooh, I think, I didn't think about money when I was doing tour support. Um, because I did not make money from comedy regularly enough to view it ever as a like way of sustaining my life uh, in this world. Um, so for me, it was about like legitimacy and f- it really made me feel more legit. Um, because also I think when you, so like when you talk to normal people that don't do comedy, you can say like, oh, I've, done bbc new comedian i did lester mercury like you can say shit like that but no one knows what the fuck you're talking about i don't know if you're allowed to swear on this fucking podcast yeah 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 you can swear on this fucking podcast if anything it's encouraged um (laughs) but it's a really nice way of being like hey you know did you watch lou sanders on taskmaster yeah i did her tour sport and people are like oh that's cool i know her so that's good and also um promoters as well i'd say uh because like you can you can weasel your way onto a pro bill doing an opening 20 and have a shit opening 20 and no one will stop you i have found um but tour support is like look somebody proper chose me to sell my wares i.e tell my jokes at their show which is primarily their thing and is branded in their way and they entrusted me with that i must be decent and i think that's a good Mm. benefit yeah, do you know what? I've never thought of it like that. So my experience mm. of doing tour support, so I, I've i not got an agent and haven't had an agent for a while, but when I had been going for a couple of years, I signed with Avalon. And um, one of the perks of being with Avalon was I managed to support Jenny Eclair on some tour dates and Lee Mack on some tour dates. Years ago, this is probably... 2006 2007 and I was really excited for me it was playing those bigger rooms that was the thing that I was quite excited by playing what felt like theater big theaters and all that sort of stuff then I just started supporting Russell Howard on tour a little bit as well but I've never thought about it in that way I think that's a really good way of of thinking about it she's smart she's clever (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that that really is playing the game. I like that actually. I might use that. What because Ricky, you've supported I mean you've done gigs with with Russell and you've done gigs in, in Bristol, but in terms of actually supporting someone on tour, yeah. Is is Nathan Caton the only one you've done or have you done a couple? Nathan Caton, he's he's the only one I've done. But yeah, actually like when you mentioned that supporting someone gets you more gigs actually supporting nathan at the hen and chicken got me like 
a few weekends there like back mm. back to back so that was it really is like just that stamp of like this person thinks you're good even though before I'd done tour support for Nathan he'd never seen me do stand-up yeah but you know um, and... people, it doesn't have to be Nathan that picks you it just has to be a marriage of you and Nathan for that night that seems compatible because there's yeah. other people you couldn't do tour support so for example um I could never support even though I, I'm in love with her, Helen Bauer, because oh. we're both fat and loud and funny, but she <laughs> knows things a bit more than I am. And it would be like, we've just seen like not as good Helen Bauer and then now here's real Helen Bauer. So it's not, it doesn't work. You know what I mean? That's really interesting. I never even thought about that as a factor. Like like that the people have to be like, not even sim, you, you can't be similar. You have to be like matching in some other way. Like, what yeah. would you say is the is the thing? Yeah, I don't know. Over, what do you think? Do you know what? I, I thought that this conversation was going a very different way. And now you're throwing out questions to me that I don't know the answers to. Yes, and, this is quite... now. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, I'm really excited because I get to, we get to analyse as we're going along. So, so let's talk, let's do Ricky and Nathan first. Because that's quite an easy way into it. So Mm. Nathan messaged me to say, to ask me if I knew any good new black or Asian comics in the West Country who could support him on tour. Um, And uh, the first one that came to mind was my podcast co-host and (laughs) uh, Padawan, uh, Mr. Ricky Masindo. Now, I did. I did also fill that niche back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> back in the day, so there wasn't much. Back when choice. you were a minority, uh, <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. now you're white. So <laughs> exactly. But I yeah. think. But I think. I think the reason Nathan does that is because I think, from Nathan's point of view, Nathan wants to support new black comics coming up. Like I think that is a an actual part of what Nathan wants to do is go into these cities and he can choose anyone, but he wants to give back some of the support that he was given by other comics when he started. Mm. Um, And when he asked me that, I kind of, I immediately thought of Ricky because there's a couple of criteria you want from your support act, especially if the the tours you're doing are less than 300 seats. So so firstly, you really want someone quite cheap. Like the money, and we'll, we'll get onto the money later on, because I'm quite happy talking about the money situation with support. But, but, but a lot of support, the money isn't great especially if you're doing it in your hometown. And that's the other thing. If he's looking for someone in Bristol, that means that there's no hotel, there's no travel, there's none of those overheads. It's basically who's local, brilliant. And I've definitely had that with people coming through the West Country. I've supported Paul Sinar on tour because Paul will go to different cities and go, rather than taking a support with me all the way through, I'm just going to get someone local from that city. That's what 
John Bishop does, and that's what Jason Manford do on these major tours. And it's because it's it's good money, but it's not stupid amounts of money. And so for Nathan coming to Bristol, having someone who is new means that they can have someone who is quite funny and quite nice, isn't going to cost the earth, and also isn't so stupidly experienced that they're going to go on, rip the gig a new arsehole, destroy it in so many different ways that there's nothing left of the room for Nathan to go on to. Mm. That makes me feel real good about the times I've died when I do talk support. (laughs) (laughs) Which, again, is another thing that we will definitely talk about in a minute, how difficult it can be. Um, Ricky, does does that feel like that sums you up? Are you cheap? Quite nice, quite good. Quite good, but not too good. <laughs> that is, that is what the yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it definitely makes sense. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Because it is it is actually really hard doing that. Because it's like, it's you're opening up a gig, which is hard. But you're also opening up for someone. Because I think a lot of audiences sometimes don't even realise that opening openers are a thing. Like, like when I went to see Dave Chappelle, it, like I didn't expect there to be people before, and I do stand up. But I was like, oh, of course there are people before. Like this is how this works. But those people are never advertised, which is strange, really, because you'd almost think that would be in everyone's best interest if they were. What, um, Jesse? What was the first one you did like? Do you remember how you got it and who it was for? Yes. Uh, so my first was Fern Brady. Um, and I got it because she was doing a preview at the wardrobe in Bristol and I was just booked to open. I don't know if it was warm up or it wasn't said. I, no one said it was warm up, but it was just an opening 20 and then a break. And then she did her preview. Um, and she was actually annoyed because she was doing a preview and I did like old gold which was probably quite annoying because um, then they have to like acclimatize to someone that's reading from. Them. <laughs> um, so that was quite annoying of me. But um, yeah, and then she messaged me a couple of weeks later, and I remember that I was asleep on the floor of my ex boyfriend's bedroom, and I woke up to the message, and it made sleeping on the floor way better. And the message was, "Do you want to come and support me at another gig?" Yeah, the first message was, do you drive? And I was like, fuck, no, I don't. Should I, can I learn, like, right now? Um, but then, luckily, it was fine, and I got the train, and it was Exeter, it was Exeter Corn, Corn Exchange, and uh, I, yeah, it was great. <laughs> was it good? And so the gig was, because that's a big old room, that Exeter Corn Yeah, it was, I don't know, I, do you know what? I'll never know. I don't, I remember not thinking I did great, um, but then when I did more tour sport, like, so then after that, I did Alfie Brown at Birmingham Glee and really, really died and, like, wanted to cry afterwards on Alfie Brown, but he was about to do a show and it was not convenient for him. Um, and the guy, the Chris Field, who does the tech at the Glee, was like, don't worry, like, literally nobody wants to see you. And I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> fine. Nobody cares. Nobody wanted to see me anyway. Like, they all paid to see Alfie Brown. It's fine. Like... Mm. No one's disappointed that I that I ate shit because like they didn't even know I was gonna be there eating shit. 
and they don't care. So it's fine. But yeah, I think the Fern Brady one went, I'd give it like a six out of 10. Um, so yeah, I don't know. And the Alfie one? <laughs> like a 2.8 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> one point for going on stage and one point for leaving the stage. And then one point eight. <laughs> <laughs> and tell me how it worked in the both of these situations with Nathan and with Fern and also with Alfie in the sense of what the main act did before, because I think that can make a big difference to how your gig is going to be. So Ricky, did Nathan go on first before you or how did it work? I think he, yeah, no, he just introduced me from backstage so right, so on the off stage, Mike. Yeah, yeah, and then he brought he brought me on, but he asked me if I wanted him to do five or ten at the top or whatever, and I was just like, uh, I kind of wanted to go in, uh, like without him going in, so I kind of know how my twenty is because it was like basically me measuring what because that was the first that was the first time I'd really done a proper twenty minutes that was like this is me trying to do my best to an audience so it was a way for me to see if this this is actually a 20 or if it's like a rambling 15 or whatever um what about you jesse do you remember how how people did it when you first went on tour support yes i think fern just said like please welcome to stage jesse nixon um alfie did the same but then Lou Sanders and Steve Bougea both did like 10 minutes up top, which I think I prefer just because you can get a gauge on what the audience is like, even though you have to remember that like it's even more disappointing to then come on as the tour support. Like they've mm. got a taste of Lou Sanders and then she's like, anyway, sit through this dickhead first, lol, bye. Which is really <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, I I think I'm with you. I think I'm with you on the person introducing me because... When it's on and off stage, my like I remember supporting Russell. I did quite a few before he went to the super big venues. So we were doing big venues like a thousand, two thousand, three thousand. But before he then went on to you know the big arena shows, mm. and I remember doing Newcastle, and I remember him saying, "Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome on stage Mark Olver," and it wasn't even. Please welcome on stage my friend, Mark Olver. Please welcome. Yeah. You're going to have an amazing <laughs> night. But first, I want to introduce <laughs> you to this really great guy. It was literally, <laughs> please welcome Mark Olver. And the audience, I, I always remember it with, with Russell at that point, that when the microphone would come live, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> you'd see all these cameras start flashing. People would start taking photos because they were like, oh, my God, we're going to see Russell Howard. Ladies and gentlemen, please, and please welcome my supporter. And you just see the camera <laughs> stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you, just, and you walk out to just kind of, and it is, come on, then, come on, do what you need to do. Let's get through this. Um, but when that person introduces you and makes a bit of a deal out of you, it does make the audience go, oh, okay, right. He, she's mates with Lou Sanders or she's mates with Steve Boucher or he's yeah. mates with Russell Howard. And it does kind of, to me, 
makes it a little bit more manageable. Mm, yeah, no, definitely. Like, yeah, with with me, Nathan, like he said, he said we were friends and that like I was a good comedian, which at first I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. I'm on the right end, Nathan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're lovely, but I've just met you. <laughs> but also, how fucking lovely is Nathan Cater, right? He is the best. He is honestly one of the most chill people. Like before he went on stage, he was just looking at his phone, just checking the basketball and i was like what the fuck i am shitting myself (laughs) i mean that is the thing for a lot of people when you do the supports for them on like 20 30 50 100 gigs a lot of the times you're just there because they like you (laughs) you're just (laughs) there because they like your company they choose they choose um state floor managers tour managers in exactly the same way as people who they just enjoy having company with. Mm, mm. Yeah, I could definitely I actually think see that's that. where I fell down a lot of the time. At my <laughs> <laughs> I think that I, yeah. So, okay, so don't tell Flame Brady or Lou Sanders this. So don't publish the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they, because they, honestly, if you'd asked me, like, years ago who I what my ideal tour support would be I would genuinely have told you either Fern Brady or Lou Sanders it's an insane coincidence that I've actually done tour support for both of them but it like nobody prepares you when you start comedy you're gonna meet like quote-unquote celebrities I feel like they wouldn't even want me to call them celebrities but like sorry mate you went on Taskmaster that's it um but you don't no one's like be chill with celebrities 101 so put that in your fucking podcast how to talk to celebs because i don't know (laughs) because i become the most aloof like bitchy version of myself because i don't want them to think i'm like an insane fan or like a sicker fan Mm. so i'm just like super chill but i think it comes across as either really boring or that i genuinely dislike them so that's a shame but i think like maybe this is just some neuroses like coming out in this podcast but like i genuinely think it's a tricky thing when you're like starting out in comedy that you have to interact with these like famous people that you've seen on telly and that have maybe modeled stand-up for you and been a bit inspiring in terms of starting stand-up and then you have to fucking talk to them as if you you're just mates that's crazy mm. yeah yeah no i completely get that like because that was that was the weirdest thing for me like meeting russell for me the first meeting time. me oh, meeting thanks, mark man. over meeting for me. the first thanks, time bud. because i was like wow wow the way he asks people what their favorite service station is is mm. truly <laughs> no one else does it like him. no one else does it but yeah no it's very weird just meant to be like oh this is just so normal but like these people you've literally like grown up watching them like i think like russell was on mock the week when i was I don't know, like 10, maybe. Like, and I would be watching TV and he'd be there. So it was really weird, literally just meeting him. Yeah. Yeah. Has it got has it got better, Jesse? Did it get better over the because I because I know both Fern and Lou, and both of them would, you know, at the beginning say, you know, who would be a good tour support? And I would say, Oh, you know, you definitely want to um hook up with Jesse Nixon. And I think I think Catherine Ryan sent me a message and I think Priya Hall ended up supporting Catherine down in Plymouth. And it's yes. like, 
it's just really nice to be able to hook up people who I know are going to get on mm. and never in any of the text messages or chats I've had with Lou or Fern since have they gone, God, Jessie Nixon's a bit of a weirdo in a dressing room, isn't she? She's always, she's always muttering under her breath, no, you're being too nice. No, you're being too aloof. <laughs> she keeps, well, that would explain, she keeps going five, be a five, just a <laughs> four, four is bad, six, six is five. No wonder she keeps doing that. Yep, no, none of them have ever said that to me, so you're fine. That's good. Well, the second time I did lose tour support, I baked her uh, some chocolate chip muffins and then was like, oh, a bit presumptuous to bring the muffin. The thing kicked in again and I was like, she'll think you're insane if you bring her muffins. So then I texted her being like, hey, should I bake some muffins? I'd already baked them. I'd already baked them, but I was <laughs> I hadn't. And then she was like, no, that's cool. Don't do that because I'm vegan. And I was like, good. I wasn't even gonna. I hate muffins. <laughs> anyway. so I just had to leave the muffins at home. And I think about oh, it all the time. <laughs> were they good muffins? Yeah, they were fantastic. I'm a great baker. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, she is also a vegan, so she probably wouldn't have yeah. uh, w- w- wanted the muffins. Um. What's the best thing, Jesse, about being a tour support? Um, wearing a cool outfit. No, um, although that is a that is something that I consider because I'm like, I don't want to look, I don't want to dress fancier than you. I don't know how you're going to fucking dress. Anyway, um, the coolest thing, um, I think it's. Do you know what? This is maybe too sincere, but I think it's um when you get a whole bunch of followers online afterwards who think that you are much sort of further along in comedy than because I see getting a tour sport I kind of still see it as like a a crazy cool one-off that's like oh my god can't believe like I fluked and got that great tour sport opportunity whereas they just assume that I do it all the time and that's like a kind of mitigates my imposter syndrome just for a little second because the group think of Jessie's a good comedian if she's supporting Lou Sanders and Fern Brady is strong enough I know it's not What's the, the worst thing? answer that you wanted, but I'm keeping. No, I like. Do you know what? I I like it. I like. I like that you're giving me. Uh, you're giving me perceptions. You're giving me angles on this that I didn't even think about. Like genuinely, <laughs> like for me, when I've done it, it's just like, oh, I just really like doing the big rooms. Like, I just really like all those people there. You know, I never <laughs> think about all that other stuff, really. Yeah, well, I just think I just want to be perceived as a really good comedian, almost dangerously close to more than I want to be a good comedian. Um, so <laughs> I know that <laughs> okay, let's, let's... a bunch of people into thinking I'm good, then that's great. <laughs> so are you the living embodiment of fake it until you make it? Or do you just not even care about the making element of that? My thing is bake it until you make it. That's why I did the muffins. Oh, nice. I see. I see. I like that. I like Do you know that. what? That feels fake it until you bake it. Feels like it should be a, a cookery show on Netflix. Doesn't yeah. It? Can you pitch that to Bake Off? Don't you have something to do with Bake Off? Can you um make it there? Copyright so, Bake it. You did the warm up for Bake Off. The slogan. Like, why is it not the slogan? 
Yeah, I don't know. Um, I do the warm up for Bake Off extra slice, not Bake Off. I don't, I don't, I don't stand in, I don't stand in the tent. I just made that up. I didn't even know that there was like a capacity for you to be involved in any way, but that's that's great. Oh yeah, no, I don't know if you know Ricky, but I do quite a bit of TV warm up. <laughs> we have a whole episode on it coming out, or that has already come out, depending on where you're listening to this. Yeah, no, I think we're going to do these in order. This is the this is this is the uh, return. This is the return the return of, of the king. Is that the last? Re- uh, yes, yes. This is the return of the king, yeah, or the return of the Jedi. The, this is the end of our nepotism trilogy. The nepisodes. Um, pardon. The nepisodes. I'm literally the nepisodes. So wasted on you two. I'm literally on fire. Get me in the are. <laughs> An episode. Well, I think that's uh, Ricky doesn't have to worry about naming the episode this week. <laughs> yeah, he I is just named the episode. It's not fair because um, I'm not even an epo baby. My mum's a civil servant. Good point. Wow. Good point. What's the worst thing about doing tour sport? Um, nobody wants to see you. A bit. That is a bit. One of the worst things. And also if somebody's if so like for example, when I supported Alfie Brown, which by the way, I got that gig from consistently sending him pictures of dead birds whenever I saw them until we kind of established a rapport. Um <laughs> and that's how I got that. Um but yeah, the Alfie Brown crowd are, are way cooler. They're like sort of corduroy wearing erudite young men, a lot of them, and that's actually my natural enemy. Uh, in life, okay. <laughs> so, like, that was maybe why that went badly. <laughs> um, how many did you do for Alfie? Just the one, and we must not <laughs> ask ourselves why. <laughs> <laughs> I think scroll back about seven minutes. I think we'll discover why. <laughs> I think it's the dead birds or the dying on my ass. It's probably the dying on your ass, yeah, but, but no, at, at the no. same time. Every yeah. support act has absolutely died on their arse with uh, with a headliner. You know, it literally just is what happens. It's true. How was your gig with Nathan, Ricky? Oh, it was really good. Um, like, it... Yeah, no, because it, it went... I think, in my head, I was like, I'm going to eat shit for 20 minutes. So the fact that I didn't, I was like, yes, this is good. But uh, Steve asked me to come back a few times to support slash do other gigs. So that was, that was, so I guess it went well enough. But I would say in a weird way, that was probably the best I've ever done in that room. Because every other time I've been in that room, I have had an awful gig, I think. Oh, have you? Yeah, yeah. It's... Oh, I love this. We don't talk about this enough. I love it when you die on stage. It you really me... do. I get so excited because you're so good and naturally good um, <laughs> that it's sort of you as a person undermine all my theories about how stand-up is based on failure and that you have to struggle and that you have to develop <laughs> and you have to learn. And because you do well so often, I get really insecure and I start doubting how much I know. And then when you die on your ass, I'm like, oh, brilliant. No, actually, I'm fine. I'm vindicated. Yeah. 
Yep, yep, yep. I have had some tough gigs in that room. Um, Like, I think, I don't remember what it was for. Oh, yeah, the comedy, Southwest Comedy Showcase. The um that was there that like um that Steve was doing, and for me it was I was so in my head because the stage is one of those stages where it's like it's tiny and everyone is surrounding you. Do you know what I mean? So it's like you're in kind of the round, but you don't have much room to move. So that feels so awkward for me that like every time I'm on that stage, I just can't. I just feel like I just can't be funny. It's so weird. But then when I when I was doing Nathan's gig, he had the whole stage out and it was like it normally is where it's just like a front stage. And I don't know if it was actually the stage was getting in my way or if I was there was something wrong with me. But it was like it's such a weird sensation that like, yeah, yeah, very odd. I mean, the other thing as well about doing some of these gigs is, is you are right. I mean, it's a weird thing to fixate on. But sometimes having those bigger stages, bigger route, it just makes such a difference to how you perform. Mm, it definitely does. It definitely does, yeah. Like, I think I've I've really gotten obsessed with rooms, like how rooms are set up, because, like... I think it makes such a difference to how the audience perceives you. And it's something that I didn't even realize until I had those like, bad gigs at um, the Hen and Chicken. You do know that I want to do an entire episode of this podcast about how to lay out tables and chairs at a gig. <laughs> Surely that's not an hour of content. <laughs> I reckon we could do an hour of content on it. Please, and then how do you explain it to venue managers without seeming really like patronizing or like bulldozery but also that you kind of might know a thing or two about how to do it yeah, oh, what? yeah. are we are we not meant to be bulldozery <laughs> i have made, <laughs> I some, you ever I have made some terrible <laughs> errors of judgment going into these going into the uh, hellfire club high wickham swan and saying to them before the audience come in, oh, you do not want to put the the tables all the way back there. Come on, come with me. We'll bring them forward a little bit. God, I wish that was me. Uh, all the time. Um, Newport Riverfront, that's the one for me, where you walk on and it's like, oh, um, are you putting the front row eight feet away? Nah, no, come on, let's not. You know, I've, yeah. I've compared, I've been comparing and dragging people forward, literally dragging, you know, those massive cabaret tables where they have like 12 people, you know, literally jumping off stage and dragging them towards the stage. Yeah, yeah. My my biggest pet peeve is an empty first row. I'm just like, well, what are we doing? What, What is the point of this? Come on. Yeah. Do you know what? In fact, to bring it back to tour support, because I'm so smooth, um, that's one of the things is you don't have any control over how the room is set out and also you I always wonder about whether to do audience interaction because you kind of don't necessarily or they don't necessarily want you to like compare the gig for them um, and maybe they want to do a bit of crowd work at the top in order to get it back get get things on side for them so I remember at the Glee with Alfie it probably would have been really helpful if I'd just done some crowd work just to be like look I'm here and like 
I know I'm not Alfie Brown, but I have a lot of hair and like we're the same height, but we can talk. I've sent him look I've sent him loads of dead birds like I get to be here <laughs> I paid the dead bird tax um but to like humanize yourself a little bit to them but you I don't know if that's a line you want to cross the tour support because you know it's maybe it's bad etiquette I don't know well, I suppose the only way to know the answer to that is to ask that person yeah and a more a more experienced comic. So I've done quite a lot of TV warm-up for Al Murray, mm. and Al will ask me not to talk to the audience near the stage too much because when Al is doing it, that's what he wants to do with a lot of his show. And he will say that, and he's he's such an amazing comic, but also so experienced that he's quite happy to say that and not come across as a dick. Oh, but could you do us a favour and... If you're going to talk, mm. can you talk to the people further mm. at the back? Mm. And I think there probably is some sort of responsibility in inverted commas on the main act to kind of to talk you through it a little bit, to talk you through some of these things a little bit. Like, you don't want to go in with shitloads of filth before introducing Tim Vine, because Tim Vine's audiences are quite a lot of, to quote James Acaster that I was watching the other day, Chrizos, um, or The Squad. Um, And because Tim Tim Vine doesn't do filth, he doesn't really swear, you don't want to go in and do 15 or 20 minutes of fisting material to people who have brought their kids out to watch the one-liner man. Yeah. And usually a good tour support will will know that in their head. You know, they will but but you can't sometimes be expected to read the mind of the headline act. So I think the headline act should probably just tell you a bit, I suppose. Yeah. So what would you say then is the role of a tour support? Like what is your job? description that's a again god you two are on form today maybe it's just me maybe i'm particularly idiotic today um uh i think the role of the tour support like the role of tv warm-up and like the role of a compare in its most condensed version is to waste time in as entertaining a way as possible. Really? Really? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> wait, sorry. Okay, wait. But do you think you're warming up the audience or do you actually mean this is like padding the show? Um, It's a little bit padding the show because lots of people will go out without a support. You know, they'll go mm. out and do... 245s or go out and do a 40 and then come back and do an hour and some people want to go and do their hour and but they think to themselves oh i don't really want to do that in 230s or i don't want to add anything so actually i'll get this person that i can pay fairly cheap to go Mm. out before me um and there are people who do that and there's uh and there are some some acts who 
who was who were paying their tour supports very little money to go out and do twenty minutes that will be good but not too good, um, so that um, they. Uh, I'm writing down the name of someone, and I'm not going to say it on the podcast. Um, but this is someone who I know pays their tour support very little money, basically as a way of justifying um, uh, that level. Uh, ah, fair, fair enough. There is also um, a message function in Zoom, but no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> let's 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 do that instead. Okay. Is there a message function? Yeah, Zoom? there's a message function. Where is like, it? I thought you were typing on Zoom. I was Where like, is I'm the not... message function? It's like um, a little. It says chat. It's under more. You got to go click on more and then chat. Yeah, it says chat. You got your thumbs up now. <laughs> It says okay, chat. Hold on, here we go. Like I'll type, I'll type in it. This is even though the audience cannot see. Hello. Wow, there he is. <laughs> worked. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Oh, look at that. Yeah. I'm just no, talking to you guys in the chat now. <laughs> Let me tell you my worst secrets. Let's all uh, let's yeah. all type our sexual fetishes into the chat. In the chat, just for us, just for us. <laughs> Typing my sexual fetishes into the chat is my sexual fetish. That's really <laughs> yeah. It, this is already like I am enjoying this so much. Um, when I've done support tour support, I've normally got fifty two hundred quid. It's normally about the same price that you might get to kind of to do a decent paid headliner gig or a weekend support gig that's about the money that you get um i have heard of people getting a hundred and do you know what if that's what you're getting because it's near your house and you don't normally get a hundred quid to do a gig brilliant if like if you're not paying for transport 100 quid fucking lovely we all like money especially if it's near our house mm. If those gigs are only eighty or ninety or two hundred, then then the headliner and the promoter and whoever they're not making shit loads of money. So you know, a hundred quid I think is absolutely fine. If that person is doing big rooms and has a national profile and is making quite a lot of money off that gig, and they're giving you a hundred, then I'm not a hundred percent comfortable that 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 is the thing. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So who who decides, like, because a, a, a tour must work differently to, like, a normal gig in terms of the money, I suppose. So is it the act, the, the like, person who's touring who kind of decides how much everyone gets, like, the venue or whatever? Or, or like, how does it work? That's a good question. When you did yours, Jesse, were you contacted by the person's manager or agent or were you contacted by the comic themselves no i think all the times it's been the comic that's got in touch and 50 percent of the times i have missed at least one of the dates because i don't check my email enough um 
but yeah it's always through the acts but it makes me feel snug about uh at the time being unsigned because they i know that for a few of them they had potentially acts on the, the roster from their agencies who um their agents wanted them to go with them because obviously kind of keep it in the family vibe but but in fern's case she was like no i want i want jesse which is really nice yeah mm. comics want comics want to go out with people that they enjoy going out with you know comics want to go out on tour with people that they did you do a couple of gigs in a row did you do the staying in a hotel and having a tour manager style vibe no i really wanted that um but i just did days at a time yeah it's really fun you properly feel like a bit of a rock star with the tour manager will you know the, the the car will be there at the end of the show and it'll drive to the hotel and Sometimes it'll drive, you know, a couple of hundred miles to get closer to the gig for the next night. And that tour manager will then check you in and give you your key and, you know, all that kind of really cool shit. That really is the dream. (laughs) You know, I know Michael McIntyre likes going out on tour with Paul Tonkinson and... Andrew Bird, Sarah Millican, that's going out on tour with uh, Sally Ann Hayward. Um, like, a lot of it is really um, wanting to go out with people that you get on with, but also in the situation that, that Jesse has found herself in, and you, Ricky, is that it's almost like comedy. Comedy is basically a ladder, right? So there's open spots, and then there's like, you know, you get your your petrol money and then you get a little bit of money to do a gig and then you get better money. You know, that's all comedy at every level is that ladder. At every different type of job you do within comedy, there's another version of that ladder. So when you do tour support, there is a version where, yeah, you take a little bit of money to support Nathan Caton in mm. Bristol but then the next opportunity that comes along, you can go, oh, yeah, well, I did that tour support in Bristol with Nathan. And they, those people go, oh, brilliant. Well, you can support uh, Mo Gilligan on his next tour or um, Ed Gamble on his next tour because you've already done that support. Mm. And it's almost like you then climb that little ladder yeah. again in every different incarnation of of comedy that you do. Does that... Does that yeah. ladder analogy make sense? No, it does. It's, it's ladders within ladders. And to add, this is a quote from the very wise Bert Williamson. He, he said, and I'm still thinking if it's true, he was like, one of the only good things about a career in comedy is you never go backwards. Until you say something on a podcast that is cancelled. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, then you... <laughs> Well, then you get a Patreon and you build your audience yeah. there. And suddenly, <laughs> GB News is knocking on the door, baby. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I once you're you paid defi- a hundred. I think you could definitely go backwards. You did. Because his, <laughs> yeah. his point was kind of like what you're saying, and that like once you get paid a hundred pounds for something, or you're regularly getting paid a hundred pounds for something. You might not go up, but people will rarely start paying you 50, was his thinking. But... Rarely is different than never. 
Okay, fine, fine. The original quote was that you never go backwards. Yeah, I think like, he said it because it's more quotable that way. Yeah, but that yeah, but it's but it might be more quotable, but it is wrong that way. <laughs> so, so what do you think, think? There's something something about optics as well, and this like there's no way of saying this without sounding so cynical. But if you get that hundred pound gig that Bert's talking about, and then you do like a slew of local open mic nights and you whack that on your Instagram, it will cancel out that £100 gig you got, and people will go, oh, he's an open micer, and mm. then they won't, won't offer you money. So I would say there's like something about kind of keep keep the narrative on that like £100 level, and kind mm. of not st- obviously still promote an open mic night if you want to, but like just make sure people don't think of you as somebody that spends their life at an open mic night, because people aren't going to think of you when they think of paid work and who to give it to yeah no that's very good apart from if i saw zoe pets who i think is such a brilliant comic Mm -hmm. and is an up-and-coming comic yeah if i saw chloe on instagram doing uh five open mic nights in london in five days i would automatically assume that chloe was just working up a show Mm -hmm. working up new material getting her live getting their live at the apollo set ready you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, I think that's because Chloe's a more established. I think basically everybody knows Chloe's a pro now. So nobody would think that. I think I'm talking about when you're just starting to break into paid work. Yeah, no, I get that. Because at like because at a certain stage, it really is just optics. Because if you don't have something objective you can hang your hat on, it really is how do people see you? Because... Yeah. It's it's like because at the end of the day, if you've been doing comedy for three years, but you haven't been on TV necessarily, you don't have an agent. There, what are the like objective ways to tell the difference between you and someone who's just started? Apart from how good you are, basically. Yeah, I I think I might still want to argue actually because mm. I think one of the things about I think you you're probably right with shit promoters and mm. shit comics who run their own gigs. They they get it in their heads who is doing well and who isn't doing well. And I've been in situations where I don't gig in London much. And so someone I gig with might not know me. And you can definitely see their cogs turning a little bit when they see me on stage do well or they, they hear about some of the things that I do, and they're like, oh, oh, fuck, I misjudged him. <laughs> I, thought <he> was just <laughs> weird, I thought he was just this weird Bristolian. It just turned out to be a weird Bristolian who can actually do the job. I think the thing that's more important, and this sort of links into this being, um, <laughs> I've just thought of a phrase with this episode, um, uh, the nepisode. Uh, I think that's a really good title for this. Um, Ricky, could you edit out the bit where Jesse coins that phrase earlier on? Is that all right? <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Thanks, mate. Oh, captain, Thanks my captain. That. <laughs> Thank you. So <laughs> the episode which I coined. So I'm so uh, I'm fake it till you Brett bake it. I'm just oh god, I'm on board today. Um, <laughs> the thing about it being. A nepotism, the thing about it being nepotism, and nepotism is usually about families, but also the comedy circuit is so small that 
we will get messages from promoters and agents. I get messages from agents all the time saying, this person has done really well in competition. Who, uh, what are they like? You know, we're, we're interested in looking at them more. Did they fluke this competition? Are they a really good person? Are they nice? Are they normal? Are they odd? Should we avoid them? You know, and and actually being the end of this trilogy about nepotism, it is about, there are people like that in every scene all around the country. You know, there are people mm. like that in Newcastle, in Manchester, in Glasgow, in Edinburgh, in Birmingham. People who promoters trust and they will go, oh, I've seen this person. I thought they were getting paid stuff, but I saw on their Instagram that they were doing loads of new material nights. Are they just an open spot? And then and then we can say, oh, no, actually, they're brilliant. They're really good. Mm. Or mm. we can say, you know, oh, actually, they are absolutely worth avoiding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, every, the thing is, it's, it's nepotism, but loads of things work like that like linkedin is a thing that exists it's all it's all who you know who your friends are and all that stuff but it's like it's at least with at least with comedy you can kind of be like oh this person is actually good or i like this person but they need more time or something you can actually say talk about how good they are on some level has it surprised you with stand-up how many people know each other you know that whole six yeah. degrees of kevin bacon like stand up is what one <laughs> like, <laughs> i don't know yeah that's definitely surprised me that's been the weirdest thing for me and that's the like most common question i get about the podcast is like how like how where did you meet all these guests and I'm always like, well, they're just kind of Mark's friends. So because it's like everyone kind of just knows each other. Are you the same, Jesse? Does it because so I, I never address the listener, but hi, listener. Hope you're well. Um, uh, myself and Jesse Nixon uh, grew up like pretty much opposite ends of a big hill. Right. Yeah. <laughs> My mum and dad live at the bottom of the hill. Your mum lives at the top of the hill. That's essentially it. Um, and I'm considerably older than you, and so uh, we never hung out. And if we did hang out, I think people would have asked questions. <laughs> but do you find when you started getting into stand-up, especially around sort of starting in with Bristol, is that one of the things that you found a little bit, um, I don't know, Confusing, odd, unusual, you can pick a word. Do you mean knowing people as in like, we're all big one happy family who all have each other in different WhatsApp groups? Or do you mean actual nepotism of like, this London Open Spots dad is Billy Connolly or whatever? Do you know yeah, what I mean? no, yeah, no, not that type of nepotism. It's okay. much more just, of a... Sort of everyone's intertwined. Who do you know, yeah. Yeah, and I think you're right because... Um, that it kind of goes back to just your that you're never what they say about spiders you're never more than seven feet away from a spider but and I feel like Gosh. in comedy you're never more than seven feet away from someone famous um which is really weird and can kind of either give you crippling imposter syndrome like me 
or can other people take it like oh my god i'm brushing shoulders with nish kumar like i'm probably going to be nish kumar in five seconds um <laughs> so like it really depends but yeah it's really disconcerting how kind of how much everyone knows each other and with social media i think plays a huge part in that and there are comics that aren't on social media and it's really weird because it's like i don't know you book so many gigs from facebook and again like we were just saying regarding optics like it's such a good I mean, it shouldn't be a good indicator. Your gigs should be a good indicator, but there are people that use social media so efficiently to make it look like they're doing fantastically mm. when they're not. And that kind of hive mind buys into that. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. Yeah, no, it is very weird because it's also, it's like, like if you compare comedy to music, for example, like a starting band or singer isn't gonna know the biggest act in the world yeah. at music but in stand-up you literally you literally can meet some of the most famous stand-up comedians within like months or years of doing it like just brushing shoulders with them not necessarily performing with them but just meeting them somewhere so it's, it is very odd because you kind of forget that these people are famous and I guess that's good in a way because it's like they are just comedians are we are we blessed a little bit being in bristol and and people being in cardiff and manchester and newcastle and glasgow and edinburgh might be blessed in the same way are we more blessed in that sense than people in london because i get the feeling that the london open mic scene is just like this. Do you remember years ago, uh, they used to have those those places in shopping malls where you could go in and put your feet in with the fish? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, like, and I always get the impression that in London, like, it's just shitloads of those fish just wandering mm. around. And mm. they don't necessarily get the opportunity too often to have a Russell Howard or a Nish or a Josh Widdicombe come down. Mm. I'm I'm trying to work out, I suppose, that because people listen to this podcast, A, in different places, B, I genuinely always thought it was just people we knew, but it turns out no. it's people we don't know listen. Um, and also, C, people listen at dis- different times. So people will listen to this podcast in a couple of years' time, and they will hopefully get stuff. Like, how do we make it? How do we make a world where... Sydney, boy or girl, why or I, in London, can have the opportunity to 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 be seven feet away from a famous person as Ricky and Jesse have in Bristol. Like, how do we make the comedy scene fair enough for our friends in Cornwall or our working class friends who maybe only get the opportunity to go out? once a week and gig. Do, 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 do you see what I'm trying to mm. to say? Like this all these three episodes seem to be if you're lucky enough <laughs> to be <laughs> to have done one of those Lakota gigs with Russell Howard when lockdown reopened, then you're gonna have these opportunities. And it's like brilliant for us and it's brilliant for yeah. Danny Johns and Alex Kitson who might want to get into warm up to know me and it's brilliant for a Larry Morgan who wants to get into writing to know Robbie Morgan it's brilliant for you two to a mm. gig with Russell and or Fern at some of these gigs 
How do we make sure that that happens for everyone? Okay, well, first thing, do not give any more concern to the London Acts because they are fine. <laughs> um, they are brushing shoulders with celebs. Harry Hill, I went to do Backyard the other day and Harry Hill was there and everybody else, me and Jack were freaking out and everybody else uh, there was like, oh, it's just Harry Hill. I was like, what world are we living in? But we're living in London. Uh, well, some of us aren't because some of us don't have £850 lying around every month um but so don't worry about the london acts they've got enough they've got enough thank you they are already <laughs> of comedy they don't yeah get um when i went and did a, a competition the other day it was me and the delicious julia stenton and oh, yeah. she and i arrived in london and everybody was like Oh, it's the provincials. The provincials have arrived. Did you get here? Okay, have you been on the tube before? And we were just like, oh. So anyway, wow. Don't think about. Don't worry about the London acts. Don't even worry about them. Okay, anymore. so they could. They're all right, are they? But the yeah. rural acts is, I think, cause for concern because if you don't live in a bustling metropolis, how are you meant to gig w- without driving like a hundred miles every single night? Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, that is very true. Uh, but I mean, like, I guess. That's just because, you know, you need loads of people to do stand up. But I guess it's tough, isn't it? Because like, if you do live in a village like in Somerset, how are you meant to have a gig that's like sustainable that you can actually get better at? Yeah, I think yeah. Wales is a good example, though, because Wales, I think, kind of fell victim a bit to like, oh, look, it's the provincials syndrome almost more than Bristol because it's not even in the same country as London. So it couldn't possibly <laughs> be legitimate. Um, and what they've done really nicely, I think for, as an out, outsider is um, uh, just make their own kind of scene. And now that you've got BBC Wales, you've got BBC Sesh, you've got um, S4C, mm. like all this cool Welsh stuff, Welsh speaking gigs. And like a bunch of us guys are looking in being like, that looks pretty cool. Like I don't speak Welsh, so I can't be part of it. But like, I wish I did. Cause it looks really good. And like, they've just been like, fine, we'll make our own cool thing. And, like it'll be our thing and you'll be lucky if you're part of it one day maybe yeah yeah and also as well like I think kind of to add on to that as well is like it worrying about <clears throat> other people not being able to get their foot in the door and stuff like that it's I don't think it's necessarily too much to be worried about because I like I met you just by gigging just by doing stand-up and doing the thing. And it's like, we all kind of meet people who can help us by just doing stand-up. Like, like, I fully believe if you just go out there and gig and you're good and you're nice, you brush shoulders, talk to people, make friends, then you will encounter these people who can turn you into a Nepo baby. Like, it is, it is just the nature of the thing. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I definitely, I went into that question, it, half question, half rant, and half <laughs> worry um, about it. But I think I think you might be right. I'm very easily swayed this evening. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I, totally, I, I think you're totally right that it is about gigging. And it's about, and I know what Jesse says about rural acts, but the thing is, because we are all connected between two or three people, like someone will tell me that they saw a, uh, an act in Cornwall and then I will go, oh, well, if I'm doing a gig and, and they're ever around in Bristol, 
then I'd like to see them because I've heard that they're really good. And then when you see that person and it turns out that they are really good, then you make a phone call to whether it's an agent friend or a promoter friend or a booker friend or a whoever friend and go, oh, actually, I've heard that that person's really good. Or maybe the next time that someone is doing a, a tour in Penzance and they message and say, can you think of anyone in Cornwall? Then that person is in your brain as the person closest to them. So, and that only happens you gig. Yeah. 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 You just, you just have to, you just have to do the thing. And if you do the thing, things will happen. Make that a t-shirt. Sounds like a Nike uh, knockoff t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> do the thing. Just do the thing. Um, Yeah. Have you got anything to add, Jesse? Because it feels like that is the perfect way to end this. Ricky just repeating ad infinitum, do the thing, just do the thing. Just <laughs> do the thing. Yeah, I mean, I would say completely organically, just off the top of my head, just like do the thing, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what I'm picturing, um, and I don't, I, I don't think. Is there a Zoom thing where I can draw on the uh, screen because oh, I would wow. like to do it where um, you said it was like a Nike thing. I'd like to try and get a <laughs> Nike swoosh and put that in Ricky's mouth. So it looks nice like he's smoking that. the doobie, <laughs> oh, but it's a Nike, it's a Nike swoosh doobie. <laughs> and I just guess. Ricky, just do the thing. Just do the thing. Just do the thing. <laughs> Yeah, that'll be again just for us because this is an audio podcast. <laughs> Why has no one ever done a fake marijuana Nike as a doobie thing? It feels like the swoosh is a perfect, like, little, you know, little I'm gonna, I'm going to Google images that right now and I wonder if it exists. Nike tick marijuana. That's all we'll going. Did Nike... you go for marijuana straight away? Do you know how to yeah. spell marijuana? Yeah, it's it's like you think it is, but it's a J. That's how I Just marijuana, like it's Spanish. Uh, the best I found is no, you can't see that. There's no way you're gonna see that. No, no. It just says weed. Just smoke it. That's the only thing I could find. <laughs> nice. Someone spent a lot of time on that meme, didn't they? Very much so. Definitely. Um. Nixon, thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, you seem confused by me saying thank you. <laughs> no, I'm not. I... You do have really bad imposter syndrome, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> I worry that it's going to uh, permeate this podcast, and everyone's going to like had to turn off because that girl had such low self esteem that it was really cloying. <laughs> but you were, but like you have like i see you on stage and you've got such a fucking swagger like mm. i don't think you've got have you do you have imposter syndrome but you just fake it brilliantly yeah honestly honestly it's like so i remember being about 14 and being like i don't know if anyone's ever gonna okay i'm gonna revise this to 16 so otherwise it's gonna sound weird but being about 16 and being like i worry that no one will ever want to fuck me which sounds like a big overshare but that was the pivotal point where I was like just act like you're crazy fuckable 
and then everyone will want to fuck you. I'm basically such a good gaslighter. I was born to gaslight. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been doing it for so long. And that's what I don't think of it as faking it till I make it. I think of it as routinely gaslighting everyone I meet. And that's what I'm doing. <laughs> Ricky, I always assume, has got whatever the opposite of imposter syndrome is, which I is just it. like, yeah, I'm comfortable here. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, no, I would say, I would say I'm very comfortable in most places. But I'm the most self. It's a private education. That's what it ah, is. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about socioeconomics. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but I am also the most self-critical person about everything I do. I would say. Yeah, you're like I'm perfect, but I have to stay perfect forever yeah. and like do whatever it takes. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like a yeah, like every like every time I go on stage, like there was a point where I would record all my sets and like I'd I'd force myself to listen and I'd be really annoyed if I stumbled over a word even if the gig went well. So it's like kind of like yeah, I just criticize everything I do. But it's good cuz it it makes it so I can be good at some things. Yeah. But it's yeah, there's an eternal dialogue going in here, Mark. You'll never be privy to Oh, good. I'm glad it's there. I think we all have it. I I think wherever we are, it, it's nice that the person who was privately educated and Jesse, you were home educated, weren't you? Edgy, yeah. She's yeah. <laughs> like like it's great that that big range of education styles seems to create the same vibe, just possibly mixed up in, <laughs> in different directions. <laughs> we all just have that combination of confidence and lack of confidence of you know extrovert and introvert of of all of that we all have it and yeah and i think what if this if this episode and this nepotism trilogy and this whole podcast is is literally what what ricky just said you know it's um just what did you say just do the thing just, just do, do the, the thing. thing. <laughs> the full quote is just do the thing and things will happen. Yeah, Which sounds so nonsense and kind of profound at the you've same said time. So, you've said absolutely nothing in so many words. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is pretty much what the description of this uh podcast is on Spotify. They yeah. just they say literally nothing in so many words. <laughs> in, about, in about an hour and a half. Yeah. Thanks, Jesse Nixon. Uh, wonderful as always. Um, and I think the three of us will probably be in a room together very soon. Yes. Barely laughs. You've booked barely me laughs. Barely laughs and you've booked me to be in two places at once. So I need to discuss it with you at some point. Please let me know. There are definitely mistakes. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you very much, Jesse. Goodbye. It's pleasure. Bye bye. Yeah, that was very good. We are still recording. Yeah, we are. So we can do bits of admin, which we yeah. never do. No, no, we kind of, the structure of this podcast is fluid and flowing and ever-changing. I'll tell you what I hear people say at the end of podcasts all the time, which we've never said, so I'm oh, going to give it a go, which is um, uh, give, us a, give us a five-star review. <laughs> wherever you listen to this or give us an honest review wherever you listen to this because 
because five star reviews, and I don't. That must be an algorithm thing. The more five mm. stars you get, you must the, the more, more people find it. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know how many people I want to find it. So Mate, it's actually nuts. I have been recognised twice in London from my laugh because of this podcast. It's actually, really? it's actually crazy. It's like people, people we don't know are actually listening to it. Um, please, uh, please let people know. Uh, it's it's meant to be. It always started as a podcast. That's essentially a comedy course as a podcast, and it's meant to be about diversity. Um, it's meant to be about inclusivity. Mm. Um, we try our best. I, I sort of think from a very small world in Bristol that that hopefully things are changing and getting better and hopefully that happens everywhere. But honestly, it's just quite nice that we can sort of help people maybe learn a little bit about the comedy industry, really. No, definitely, definitely. Like, uh, I've had... The nicest thing I've ha- heard about the podcast is, like, it made people... Like, a couple people start doing stand-up. That was the thing. Brilliant. I was like, oh, that's really nice. I'm glad. Yeah. If those losers can make money from it, anyone can make money from it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and keep keep finding us on socials or in real life. And if you want particular episodes, I think all three episodes we have done so far this series have been based on what people want. Yeah, there's one yeah. coming up that I want to do. And there's another one coming up that has been suggested. Interesting. But, but keep keep telling us what you want, and we will we will try and find what is useful for you. Yeah, we will. We will as the audience grows. Uh, Masindo, look after captain. your sweet self, um, and do. I will see you. Oh, captain, my captain. I'll see you later. Bye. Take care, oh, my captain. Bye. 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 Bye.